Hey friends, if you thought my own personal plugs couldn't get more grotesque, I'm delighted to announce the Sydney season of my one-woman show, The Apologists. The Apologists presents three topical stories which combined provide a powerful examination of the meaning of the act of public apology. I've had the terrifying pleasure of doing a few seasons of it in London, and now I am positively pissing at the pant to share it with Australian audiences. So come and see us at the Old 505 Theatre, January 20 to 31st. In the show notes, you'll find links to where you can buy tickets for every single member of your family this Christmas. And also the trailer. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Gabrielle Scorthorn, and this is Back from Reality. When I was 17 years old, my dad smuggled me out of a school excursion so that I could line up for hours at my local Westfield to audition for the reality television show Fresh Meat where I would be competing to be a presenter on Channel V, which sounds pretty legit. But when you're plucked from suburban obscurity and thrust into the public eye in a world of sex, drugs and rock and roll, and you're not even legal, shit goes down. What happened over the next few months shaped the rest of my life in ways that I'm still discovering today. In this series of podcasts, I will be speaking with a different guest each week from the world of reality television. These chats will cover the highs and lows of the reality TV experience, how their lives have changed as a result, and what it's like to come back from reality. My guest today is Alexander Tomasich from Season 6 of Beauty and the Geek Australia. Listeners, a warning. Ordinarily, my guests will have wildly engaging stories of their reality TV experiences, full of unexpected twists and turns, but I'm afraid that's not the case with this one. Unfortunately, this interview really is just your bog-standard, run-of-the-mill story about a young 18-year-old dungeon master who was flown to Vegas, paired with a pageant queen, waxed within an inch of his life and then forced to wear a fishing vest and bear his manhood in a Vegas showroom alongside an all-male strip group. So please, enjoy my shockingly uneventful interview with the delightful Alexander. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please just give a brief rundown of what Beauty and the Geek is for our listeners? Sure. So Beauty and the Geek is a social experiment where they take eight socially awkward geeks and uh, eight academically disinclined beauties and put them through a series of challenges where the geeks learn to go out of their shell and explore all that life has to offer and the beauties learn that true beauty isn't skin deep. Now, the general concept of that show, a flag flies just because it seems almost diminutive to kind of categorise people into geeks and beauties. How did the concept of the show fit with you? I guess a bit of context about me. I was 18 when I went on the show. So I was at university doing gender studies, history and drama. And so, yeah, understandably, I think the premise of the show is very reductive and slightly offensive when it comes to like, oh, men behave like this and women behave like this and that sort of thing. And so I guess part of my journey on the show was being exposed to it. I realised that it really wasn't for me and I didn't agree with it and it confirmed 
a lot of my beliefs in me about the roles that people play in their lives. Yeah, to be perfectly honest, it didn't sit well with me, especially when I was viewing the season post-production. It really confirmed that it was not what I believed in. And I was like, interesting that I'm now a part of this brand, but here we are. So what drew you to it? I mean, how did you first hear about it and go, yeah, I'll apply? <laughs> yeah, so I was at university. I was really enjoying the uni lifestyle, but not necessarily enjoying the uni workload. And so I was like, I'll take some time off and reassess and come back refreshed. And there was an ad on television calling out for people to apply. And my mum turned to me and said, oh, you're a bit of a geek. You should give it a go. And I went, cheers, mum. Yeah, cheers, mum. <laughs> but also, yeah, sure, why not? I'll give it a go. I'll give it a crack. Like, I've got nothing to lose. So I uh, applied online, then had my audition, big group audition, a bunch of guys. I didn't really know what to expect or what I was going in for. And then there was the callback. And in the callback, the big conversation was, oh, we're not sure you're geeky enough to be on the show. And I was like, oh, okay. I think I am very geeky. You know, I play a lot of d and I'm really into my classical <laughs> mythology. You know, like I am a bona fide dork. Like I take that as a personal affront. And, and that's one of the questions I often get is like, oh, are the geeks really like how they're portrayed on the show? And of course we have the power of editing to blame for how we're portrayed. But also I think what they're going for with any sort of television or production is you're going for people who are still socially capable enough to play to camera and to have fun and be entertaining to watch. Like there were a couple of geeks who were genuinely, they led rather sheltered lives, very academically focused, but not necessarily socially focused. And most of the geeks, including myself, were more on the definitely eccentric. I think eccentric rather than socially incapable was probably the way to go. Right, and so you're having to desperately prove your identity as a geek yeah. in the casting process. Did they kind of do some in-depth like psychological interviews with you? They did a deep dive on social medias. So one of the guys, supposedly a bunch of red flags came up to him because they found him in a bunch of like party shots, having fun with a whole bunch of friends. Like, this is not very geeky behaviour. But yeah, for me, I didn't have that many party shots. I mean, I was only 18 at the time, so I hadn't really had that many crazy escapades. Not that I've had a great deal now, but at the time, uh, <laughs> less so. And so for them, it was building the, what are like the pillars of your geek identity? In a similar way with the beauties where they'd be going, what's your distinguishing beauty feature? It's like, for me, it was, what makes you a geek? How are we going to market this geekiness? And so for me, I ended up becoming the dungeon master geek on the show, thanks to my extensive role-playing experience, which I still enjoy to this day and would recommend to anyone. It's a great time for all involved. But no, like, deep psychological chats. I, I would say, I mean, you would be much more of an authority on this, but, like, looking at other reality TV shows, some have a narrative that they're trying to get across and some maybe are more about the drama of the contestants amongst each other, like these people in their real lives doing these challenges and doing these things. Whereas Beauty and the Geek definitely falls under the former, where they have this narrative they're trying to get across which is about personal growth so a lot of the really like serious drama they would actually avoid because it doesn't fit that narrative they're trying to get like it's a feel-good story at the end of the day so there was no like psych evaluation or anything before you went on the show no i think it was more just i applied i explained why i was a geek why 
the show would be good for me. You brought your geek equity union card. Yeah, that's it. I'm official. Live in my mum's basement. I uh, haven't had a girlfriend. <laughs> All the classic tropes. So your mum was super keen on you going on the show. Did any other friends or family have any reservations or concerns about you going? Oh, I don't think anyone had any real concerns. I think it was like, oh, it's kind of like a holiday. You're kind of going on this all expenses paid trip to Vegas and then staying in a mansion and, you know, the time of your life. It's going to be a huge growth experience. I don't think anyone was aware of just how how toxic that environment can be and how negative it can be. And I think when I came back from the show, I think that was more of a time of concern for like my parents. They're like, whoa, okay. Like, are you, are you all right, buddy? Are you okay? There's a lot of like, no, nah, not really. I don't think I am. But yeah, previous to going on the show, I think everyone was just like, yeah, awesome. Why wouldn't you? It's television. What a great opportunity. You're going to take time off anyway. Go for it. Have the time of your life. I mean, it's definitely one hell of a gap here. You said on the show that you'd never been in a relationship or kissed someone before you'd gone on the show. So that seems like quite a a big kind of vulnerability to put on national television. So was like a key motivator for you going into the show to forge a relationship? I don't think so. I haven't ever had any trouble with finding friends of the opposite sex and I wasn't going into it thinking, oh, I'm going to find a girlfriend and, you know, learn all these crazy things and she's going to show me around, whatever. Like, funny story, I actually did end up dating someone from the show afterwards, but I definitely didn't go in in there with the intention of finding a girlfriend. I think I was more going in there with like, a, this is going to be a once in a lifetime opportunity It should be heaps of fun. Hopefully I'll make some friends. I'll get some experience on a big set. Because that was the other thing. Like, I was doing drama at the time and I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll do a bit of acting. Maybe I'll do teaching or history or something. Like, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But I was like, oh, this would be a really cool experience to work on this huge set. Like, eight cameras and producers and a host. And James Tobin was the host. And for me, that was like, whoa, he's from Go Go Stop. Like, I watched that when I was a kid. How incredible. And we just gave him such a hard time being like, hey, go stop. And he was like, yeah, yeah, right. But, oh, man, it was such a, what a wild ride. So you were saying you go to Vegas. So the season starts off in Vegas. What was that like? Like, how much time is there between the moment that they said, yeah, we're going to take you to the moment that you're flying out to Vegas? So we never knew we were going to go to Vegas basically up until we flew out. So there was a week of pre-production beforehand where we signed away our lives on a contract. No lawyers present, just there. Lawyers, you know, going like, yeah, here's your contract, sign away your life. You can't do this, this and this. And just being an 18 year old being like, yeah, sure. Whatever you say, buddy. (laughs) And that was also when the stylists came in and were like, okay, so you need glasses. All right, let's have a look through the frames that we have from all the seasons. Yep, these look good for you. Can we style your hair this way? Great, you haven't cut your hair or shaved your beard. since you auditioned awesome you look very hairy and disgusting okay alexander you're gonna be the vest guy so let's get him a whole wardrobe of vests and that is gonna be your shtick yeah so basically the geeks were all together we spent a week in pre-production and then they'd said oh we need you to have your passports ready and it's like oh okay like we didn't think we were doing any traveling it's just like oh we need an id on us but yeah then it was like oh by the way you're going to las vegas okay all right we're going to las vegas (laughs) all fly over to las vegas touchdown just like what is going on is this whole series gonna be filmed here like how long are we in Vegas where are we staying yada it was very rapid pace once we'd signed on the dotted line it was non-stop so how did you get on with the other 
Oh, it feels awful saying the collective noun of geeks, but, you know, the other guys on the show, how did you get on with each other? Yeah, I would like to believe we wear it with pride. I think geeks have gotten a lot cooler since probably the show's inception. You look at shows like Big Bang Theory and things like that, like, they're pretty cool guys, maybe. Or maybe they're still... Geek chic. Yeah, geek chic, exactly right. No, we got along really well. I think one of the big things about a show like that is it's a super pressure cooker. Like, you form the firmest friendships in the shortest space of time and the deepest enmity just because you have nothing else to go off. You don't have any time to reflect and to process what's going on. You are just constantly there with everyone and so people do fall in love and they do become the worst of foes and the betrayals cut so deeply just because you just don't have any time to process you don't have a way to figure out what's going on but the geeks i think we went into it with a real sense of camaraderie going like yeah this is going to be so much fun and we're all in this together like i think we completely forgot that it was a competition that there was money at the end like what's money this is a fun experience and we're all these you know kind of different looking eccentric guys like let's have a blast you know let's let the politicking happen when it happens but for now we're in vegas like we're getting room service we're staying in this (laughs) yeah my bar is so low as you can see whoa free food you know i'm staying in this uh oh two-story apartment in the golden nugget hotel and it's got a stairwell and a mirrored ceiling over the double bed and a spa so that you can watch yourself eat food yeah exactly watch eat room service (laughs) i think it all became very real as soon as we met the beauties i think that was the big like oh okay the holidays over now it is time like we are filming we are getting on it you're away what were your um first impressions of the beauties well our series they were all american and so that was i I, when we found out they were american beauties like oh okay cool i don't know what's going on but this will be great so different series of beauty and the geeks either the beauties would pick the geeks or the geeks would pick the beauties or they'd take turns or something like that so everyone was paired up in our series the geeks were picking the beauties and so we were set up in this little chapel in las vegas it has a famous name but i can't remember it anyway and the beauties one by one would come out and as a group someone would raise their hand and choose the beauty that they wanted to be paired up with and as soon as nicole came out she had a ukulele in her hand and i was like that's the one that's the one i want to be paired up with i brought my ukulele with me perfect there's some common ground that we could talk about and it was the the ukulele was horribly out of tune but the producers had set her up with the ukulele specifically so i would pick her so they were already so deep in my psyche and i didn't even know and yeah i chose nicole and we were paired up really cute immediately i put my foot in my mouth being an 18 year old as you do, no idea what I was doing. But I I said, oh, like, because she was so full of energy. I said, wow, you're a real pocket rocket. And in my lexicon, that's like, you're small and you're full of energy and that's really exciting. So in the American sort of vernacular, it means a a vibrator. So I called her a vibrator within five seconds of meeting this this young woman and there was already that like lost in translation moment i think i recovered i think i recovered pretty well but it was just this real like wow i am gonna have to really figure out what i'm saying before i say it because i'm not even thinking about australianisms versus americanisms and what have you that 
that is a whole other level of complexity, like cultural finessing. I mean, such an innocent mistake. So you were saying that they were kidding you out with character costumes to get you to fit that mould a little bit more. Clearly there's been some kind of manipulation in influencing you on who to choose partner-wise. Did you start to notice a little production pulls and tugs uh, throughout the shooting? Yeah. So I would say it really started to happen as soon as we met the beauty. So I went back with Nicole to our room and when I got there, there were cameras, there were producers and they were ready to go. They're like, oh, Alexander, can you play her a little song on your ukulele? Like go off into the bathroom and write something and practice something and come back in five minutes. And so I ended up performing this little impromptu thing on my ukulele and yeah, just it's there started to be that like one on one time between either myself and Nicole with a producer or myself with a producer or Nicole with a producer. And yeah, that really solidified the fact that, oh, this is a big TV show. This is a competition like they are trying to get certain things out of us. And that sort of thing would progress throughout the series. I think the worst I had of it was so in the second episode, we come back to Australia and we're put into a kissing challenge where we enter a room there is a woman in the room and we kiss them on camera and that's the challenge. So weird, because at the time I was thinking like, how is this a challenge? Like, are we all kissing the same person? Also, there's just this really weird thing of like, the cold and clinical aspect of going into a room, meeting someone and kissing them on camera in front of this like audience of people. Totally bizarre. So the person that we were kissing ended up being our Australian beauty. So they'd set us up with an American beauty and an Australian beauty when we flew back to Australia. And so then it became this thing of you have to choose which beauty you want to continue through the rest of the competition with. And that is when the real, like, I can only imagine what Nicole and Sarah had to go through with the producers being like, oh, you better get Alex to pee, otherwise, you know, oh, he's going to he's gonna drop you and go with blah, 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 so-and-so. Yeah. But there was a time where we went on, like, a date with our Australian beauty. And when I got back... I entered into my bedroom and there was Nicole, there was a camera fixed on her and a producer doing like a spider fingers, Machiavellian staring and licking their lips while Nicole was just crying her eyes out. And so I entered into this scene where the producers had been just laying into her about how I was going to leave her, she was going to have to fly back to the States, like, she has to do something to keep me in the show, or for me to keep her in the show. And when I entered that room, it really clicked into focus, like, wow, they don't care about us. Like, here is this talented, intelligent young woman who they have just destroyed. They've just made her so insecure and played on all her fears and in that moment I was like okay I'm gonna ignore the cameras I'm gonna go over and I'm gonna comfort Nicole and make sure things are okay like any fears that she may have we will sort this out but I need to make sure this woman is okay because what I'm witnessing is not okay hey yeah and I think that sort of thing continued throughout the series and I can only speak on like my experience but I think that for me really clicked into focus that divide between the crew and the cast, producers and the meat. So obviously that's quite a big turning point for you with your relationship to the producers. Was the trust gone from that point on? Yeah, 100%. Because then I was never sure of what they were going to do with me. And 
yeah, what that meant. Like, and you don't have anyone to turn to. You don't have a way to contact the outside world. You don't have television. You don't have the internet. The only books you can read are ones that you've brought with you. So I think I read this book on Greek myth cover to cover five or six times during my time on the show, just because you are, you're trapped in this space with, you know, up to 15 other people and you can't go out on walks because you need to have a handler there with you on your walk. And so they, there's only one handler assigned to these 16 people, so they can't go out with you on a walk. So it's this real pressure cooker of feelings. And I think for me, it was also, I'm, I'm missing my family. I'm missing my friends. You know, I think everyone was probably doing that, but I think especially for me, I was the youngest person there for the entirety of the series. All the other beauties and geeks were at least two, three years older than me, some more so. And so I think they had more tools at their disposal to cope with what was happening. But for me, I was really struggling. And I was shown that I couldn't really turn to a producer. I couldn't turn to my handlers because anything I would give them could potentially be used against me. Um, and did that happen? Did you tell someone on the production, look, I'm kind of struggling a bit now? Not in as concise a way. I think the way I was behaving probably reflected it. And I did end up trying to reach out to one of the handlers we had, but there was this real pressure to kind of just man up and get over it. Maybe I didn't ask for help as much as I should have, but they definitely didn't extend a hand of friendship to help me out, you know? And I think I got worse and worse as the show went on to a point where, I mean, compounded with this was the fact that Nicole and I were fighting like cats and dogs throughout the entire series. Like we didn't get along because she was looking for Sheldon from Big Bang Theory and I was not that. And I was looking for someone from a very similar political background to myself where I could talk about, you know, the things that were bothering me and my opinions and things like that, whereas she was coming from a completely different place. And so there wasn't that, what common ground I thought we had was not there at all. And yeah, so you're sharing a bed with someone who doesn't like you. You can't escape these people who all want you out of the show. Like, you know, the geeks, we all still got along for most of it and I had friends, but also people were leaving. Each week, someone would leave. And the way they left was someone would be nominating them to go up for an elimination. And if they survived an elimination, they'd be coming back with a vendetta or they were into partner relationships. And it just got really complicated really fast. Yeah. Hindsight is such a beautiful thing. Like, I think I should have reached out more, but I'm not sure that there were people there to kind of take my hand and help me through it. I think they were happy to have us kind of start to go slowly insane because it would make for very entertaining television and we would slip up more and more. We would say sillier things or we would fight between each other more and that could be something interesting. So no, I, d I don't think I expressly said I'm not doing well, but there was definitely this pressure to man up, get over it and get back on the show. Oh, you've only got so many weeks left. It's like, yeah, okay, you can say that, but you can also go home and do what you need to do to, to decompress. Whereas I'm stuck in this thing <laughs> where I cannot. And I didn't realize, so you're sharing a bed with your partner. Oh yeah, I totally glossed over that. So yeah, as soon as you meet your beauty, you are then sharing a bed with them for the remainder of the competition. And is that real? Like, are you actually sleeping overnight together in this bed? Yes. So in my room, so in Vegas, it was Nicole and I in this double bed in this big apartment. And then when I was back in the mansion in Australia, in my room, there were two double beds. Each double bed had a couple. So it was Nicole and I and Nick and Candace 
all sharing a bedroom with one ensuite bathroom. And that was your bedroom. And there were several bedrooms all set up like that. So I think there was only one couple that had a bedroom to themselves. Otherwise you're sharing a bed with your partner and you're sharing your room with another couple throughout the show. That, like, my mouth is on the floor and they've done no, like, psychological screening beforehand. I mean, that to me is like red flag city. And also you had told them that you've not kissed a woman previous to the show. So this must have been a huge kind of learning curve for you as far as intimacy goes as well in terms of sharing a bed with someone. Absolutely. I feel like in an ideal world, the first person you share a bed with, you've known them for a while, you're comfortable with them, you have a repartee, you have an understanding. Whereas in this, we had to learn everything from the get-go. And so my biggest concern was like, you know, I'm a bit of a snorer, so maybe that'll really bite me in the bum down the track. But no, the biggest thing was like, supposedly one time she was nuzzling into me and me being who I am, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to give you more, like if you're nuzzling into me, it means you need more space on the bed. I'll just shift over here, make sure that you have as much space as you need. poor thing we're trapped in this bed together but supposedly that was me missing my like oh I'm interested in you here's a chance for us to grow closer not you know not necessarily have something crazy happen but to grow closer whereas to me at the time I was like oh okay you obviously need more space on the bed like like okay I'll give you I'll give you the space you you need (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and when these things are happening you know this young lady making uh physical kind of offers to you there do you think that the producers would put pressure on the women or or, or the men to kind of do these physical gestures and advance the relationship i think the producers were very conscious of which romance arcs they wanted to have happen because i think in our series there was one main romance arc which was between my partner nicole and one of the geeks Tate. And so that was the one that they wanted to develop over the course of the series. And so there were definitely couples who were getting involved uh, together, but the producers would be cherry picking which relationship was most interesting to view. And so for them in our series, it was clearly like, oh, beauty from one couple and a geek from another. Like the competition's trying to tear them apart, but they want to be together, you know? So I don't think there was necessarily a pressure from the producers but they would definitely if they saw something going on they would pull you aside and be like hey so what's going on between you and so and so like oh interesting okay how long has this been going on how do you feel yeah and then they'd obviously go back and powwow with their gang and go okay is this something we can work with is this interesting will this make for something because again i think the show is so much about that narrative they're trying to push that you the last thing you'd want is to have a relationship that would end poorly or wouldn't go the distance. It needs to be this very wholesome thing because that's the narrative. It is this really caricatured like, oh, wow, goodness, Tate, you're actually really handsome. Oh, Nicole, and you do like sci-fi. Wow. You know, that sort of almost like the bold and the beautiful um, sort of thing going on. But there definitely was this very weird... This is another thing. Sorry, I am on fire. Yes, keep it coming. So... When we arrived in Vegas, I met with Nicole, we went to our room. So I've only just met this woman. I've made my pocket rocket comment. Didn't go over that well. Recovery, I think was okay. Anyway, we entered the room. There is this big box of Magnum condoms right on our bed as soon as we enter. And they were not there when we left. 
So there is this weird like, oh, by the way, this might happen. So here you go, stay safe. Because I also found out that they had taken away, so any beauties that were on contraceptives or birth control was taken away from them. Stop. Because they didn't want them on medication during the show. Like you'd have to get a super special doctor's something or other to keep it. And I can only speak from what Nicole had told me, but she was moved off her birth control for the duration of the show. That is insane. Again, at the time I was like, how can they do this? But again, you are signing away your life in this contract. Like I am not a lawyer at 18. I have no idea what I'm getting myself in for, especially not contract law. Like I'm just signing because I've been told this is gonna be a great adventure. Oh, don't publish a book. Otherwise you're good to go. Okay, sweet, sign. But yeah, just that whole like not having your birth control and then having like, oh, but here's the alternative. Because obviously you guys are going to be having sex. Everyone's going to be having sex. Here you go. Here's a big box of condoms. As an 18-year-old, there's nothing more intimidating than meeting someone, <laughs> bringing them to your like shared space that you're now going to have to sleep in the same bed and someone being like, here you go, Buster. This will uh, look after you. Just so scary. And so I immediately laughed it off, grabbed the condoms and like threw them in the, it was either the bin or like the drawer or something. It was just like, oh, let's just put those over there. Like, let's get them out of our you know? So you've got women coming off their birth control and oh, I don't know if you've ever experienced this fun side effect yourself, but I can tell you the mental changes and hormonal changes from a woman coming off of birth control makes for a whole nother level. You are thrust into this world where you're sharing a bed for the first time with your partner. It seems like a very intense environment from what you've described. You mentioned that things escalated quite quickly and you started doing or saying things that you might not necessarily have done in normal circumstances. Do you regret anything that you did or said on the show? Oh, hindsight's such a beautiful thing. If I think the issue was my youth and the fact that I didn't have the coping mechanisms that a, a real-life adult would have at their disposal. So I was definitely much more antagonistic towards people than I had any reason to be because I would be lashing out about how I was feeling and it was very easy to lash out at others. You know, the last thing you want to do is turn that inward when you're already feeling horrible. And I mean, it takes two to tango. So the fact that Nicole and I didn't get along at all is obviously partially my fault. Like I played a huge part in that happening and I just wish that it hadn't. It would have been so much nicer if we had gotten along the whole time and it probably would have been this self-fulfilling prophecy of if we were getting along better, having more fun, less stress during the show, and then the less stress would mean more fun and better, you know. I mean, we definitely didn't have to become uh, romantic partners, but it would have been really nice if we had been friends throughout the show. Yeah, I think that's probably my biggest regret, I would say, is the way that it ended between Nicole and I, and the way I fought with other people. Not when the cameras were rolling, because again, that sort of drama is not part of the narrative that they're trying to put across. The drama would be happening behind the scenes, between takes, where one of the beauties would say something like, oh, if I win the show, I'm gonna spend my money and get a really great boob job, which there's nothing wrong with that. And as an adult now, I of course would be like, yeah, that's fine. You do with your money what is 
good for you. Like, go for it. At the time, being an 18-year-old, just coming out of doing gender studies and learning all about, like, how... It, it's just this, it was this very black-and-white view of morality, which didn't do me any favours, where I'd be like, oh, that's a huge waste of money. Like, there's so many other great things you could do with that money. Your bosoms are perfectly proportionate with your body. Why would you do anything? Yada. And then, of course, it's the thing like, oh, well, don't attack her choice. Yes, but her choice is dumb, etc., etc. Fight, fight, fight. Which as a fully functioning adult with time to process and decompress. It's that whole thing of like, choose your battles. And all battles were my battles. I was never quiet. I was always willing to throw in my two bobs and fight over something, which is just not a good thing to do. That's not what people should be doing. Well, look, very refreshing to hear that you've since decided not your place to comment on what a woman does with her body. Wildly refreshing to hear that. On the show too, you go through a makeover process, is that right? Yes, yeah. So it was really cool. I was so sick of having my prepubescent boy facial hair grown out to its full length, having the most wispy, (laughs) patchy, gross little bit of facial hair that I could muster. I hated having this afro of curls that I could not do anything with and (laughs) just heated me up so much. I hated wearing vests. Vests are, and I'm sorry to anyone that's listening who's a huge vest fan, but vests are dumb. They are so (laughs) dumb. (laughs) And when you are wearing like fishing vests at all times, it just, oh my goodness gracious. Like when we were in Vegas, the equivalent of like 35 degrees Celsius outside and I'm walking around in pants and a vest. Like, (laughs) and I am not a skinny mini boy. Like I'm a bit of a chunky monkey. So I am sweating. I am dehydrating. I'm dying in this vest. It is keeping the centre of me hot while my extra... <laughs> like, oh, crazy. You need, like, the opposite of a vest. You need something that's just sleeves you tack on because the, the vest just doesn't make any sense. So being able to shed that and to wear, like, nice clothes was amazing. Being able to wear my own glasses was another great thing. The one thing I didn't like about it was now the geeks were being woken up for hair and makeup in the morning. So that extra, you know, hour or half an hour of sleep that we'd been getting usually disappeared because now we're having to go in for hair and makeup. And fake tan? Oh, don't even get me started on fake tan. And put fake tan on you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. As we all know, the ideal man is bronze, (laughs) hairless. Oh, silly me. Sorry, I forgot. You're like such a fool. And so we'd get the worst spray tan we could, not even told to exfoliate. So during the process of the show, this flaky tan is coming off. We're wearing makeup. What an Adonis. I like my men. (laughs) Hairless and fake tanned, baby. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Don't give them a gym. No gym to work out, so we're still the under-exercised pudgy bunch, but now we're just orange. Like, it's not a vibe. Oh my god, he was hot all along. Wow. His fake tan. <laughs> Look at how beautifully orange he is. So healthy. Bring back those condoms, guys. Yes, it's action stations. <laughs> oh my goodness. And the funniest Burn. thing was, so they flew out our mums or a parent or guardian <laughs> to come and see the makeover. And so... <laughs> So they flew out my poor mum who saw me at the makeover and just barely reacted at all because she's like, yep, that's my son. Like, that's that's him. That's what he looks like. 
He's just got some weird jaundice. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. He's clearly, his kidneys are failing him. But besides that, yeah, it was, oh man, it was so funny. It was great to see mum. Oh, this is the other thing about the makeovers. So in each series, they like to have one geek who's really hairy so they can make a meal out of waxing them. Because of course, as we all know, hairless bronze, that's the ideal male. I, through some miracle, I was the hairiest geek on the show, which is insane. I am not a hairy man, but they were like, you are the hairiest one we've got. And so they waxed the crap out of me. In episode one, where we were in Vegas, spoilers to anyone is anyway, if you, it's a few years old, everyone. Okay, you can cope. Um... <laughs> <laughs> in episode one, the first challenge is we strip as part of the Thunder From Down Under show in Las Vegas. And so part of that was, oh, we need to get your bushes under control. And so we had this producer come into the bathroom with us and offer us like, oh, here's some hair removal cream. Here's some this, here's some that. Go into the bathroom stall, apply it, come out. Let's have a look at how much bush you're showing. But thank goodness, during the makeover, there was no waxing of below the belt because that would have been horrific. And then you know, that the show kind of comes to an end. You got right to the finals. You were a runner-up. You did not take out Biddy and the Geek. What was that finale like? It was such a crazy mix of emotions. I was just so ready to go home. Probably a few weeks previous, I had given up on ever getting the money. I was like, I just want to go home to my family. As much as I've made friends, none of my friends are here now. They've all left the show. I want to go home. I want to be with my family. But I, this maybe a bit of bit Richard III, a bit of a bit evil of me. I knew I wasn't going to win. I knew it because I'd seen the way they were favouring Nick and Candace. I'd seen the amount they were talking to them and it started to click in my mind of like, they have a winner. They know who they want to win. Okay, what does that mean for me? If I'm not gonna win, what can I do? And uh, I'm not sure how juicy this is, but I brought the geeks aside who are in the top four and I said, look guys, who knows what's gonna happen during the finals, but I think we can all agree that we don't wanna walk away from this with nothing, right? Look around the room, yeah, yeah, yeah. What we should do is let's have the winner take two fifths of the money and the three that don't win, take a fifth. And everyone's like, yeah, that's a great idea. You're still incentivized to win, but no one's walking away empty handed. So we split the winnings. I, (laughs) yes. And I knew I wasn't going to win. And I'm like, okay, what's something we can do that we're still going to walk away with a bit of money at the end of the day. And we all wrote out this contract just between us. Like I, you know, I so-and-so declare that if I win, I'll keep 20,000 of the whatever and transfer one fifth to A person, B person, C. And so even though I came equal second, runner up, still ended up with a bit of money when it was all done and dusted a bit down the road. So smart. (laughs) Alex, there you were saying you didn't know anything about contract law. And you've written up your own little contract law. Definitely not binding. definitely no way that that would hold up in a court of law. Um, But they did it. Yeah. We all signed this little thing. And so Nick won. And then down the track, because, you know, obviously the top four, we were all in a little chat being like, oh, how's it going, guys? How are we all? And then we ended up getting a little bit of money out of it, which was great. 
And I mean, even from what Nicole told me, I think her and Candace, so Candace, Nick's partner, obviously won with him. And I think Candace and Nicole had grown very close over the course of the competition. Funnily enough, sharing a room with another couple, you have to get close or you fall apart. I think Candace and her ended up splitting the money as well. But yeah, I was just like, I, I know I'm not going to win. It, it feels very evil to be like, I'm going to play on the fears of the people around me. But I'm like, if I'm feeling this way, I'm sure everyone else is. Like, is there a way that everyone can win? from this situation. You know, the winner is still doing well while everyone else doesn't feel like they've got nothing out of it, you know? Besides all the memories and experiences and friendships and what have you. And the Magnum condoms. And the Magnum condoms, which I still have to this day. You said, you know, right at the beginning that when you came home, your parents had kind of noticed a change in you. How was coming home from the experience? When I got back, I was borderline claustrophobic which is such a crazy thing to say. And so I think I'll, I'll explain. When I got back, I just didn't ever want to be in an enclosed space ever. So that's probably the big red flag to mum and dad that things aren't all okay, was me like just sitting in the backyard by myself, just ha being in that open space. Because on the show, and I imagine this is similar for any sort of film set or any production, there's a lot of hurry and wait. And so you're rushing to get to where the set's going to be, but then when you get there, the set isn't ready. And so you're put in a room and you wait for the set to be ready. But there was a time where I was in my bedroom with 15 other people, two producers and a handler, with one ensuite bathroom, for an indeterminate amount of time. I think it was something like six hours waiting for set to be ready. And I mean, part of this is also me as a teenager being like, I can't escape, I can't get out. But I felt so trapped and you just kept spiraling into this feeling of being more and more trapped and more and more isolated and more and more crowded by all these people. And that happened quite a bit during the course of the show. Like we were, yeah, brought together and then isolated for huge periods of time with lots and lots of people in this small space. And so when I got back, I, I didn't want to be indoors at all. I would obviously, you know, sleep in my bedroom, but otherwise I would try and be outside as much as possible just so I could not feel that claustrophobia, which, I, you know, maybe I'm, I'm doing a disservice to people who actually suffer from claustrophobia by using it, but I definitely felt something akin to it. I was profoundly uncomfortable in enclosed spaces and especially in crowds. Crowds and enclosed spaces, and that's sort of lasted a while and then as life started to get back on track and you know I was spending more time with my support groups and catching up with friends and doing all those normal human interactions all those normal things it eased off and now I'm fine but yeah at the time I was just really emotionally drained and quite vulnerable I think a lot of the the things that I'd done now that I had time to process, started to hit home. And the fact that this was going to go on, you know, national television, it then went on to international television, like it aired in Germany. And now it's on YouTube and it's there forever. So, you know, if you want to watch it, you can. But it's just like, it's always there and it's never going away. And the power that the editors have and the power that the producers have in how they create your image and how they present that to the world can be quite scary because you don't have that agency in what your story is. You don't have that power. You signed it away. You signed it away on the contract. It's gone. And it was very exciting. I think the most exciting thing for me from the show was when like the previews were coming out and like I was on the back of a magazine and things like that was really cool. I was like, wow. I ended up for some reason being the face of the show in a lot of the advertising, I think because my look very much fits that like non-threatening geeky boy next door. Like I'm definitely not gonna run off with your girlfriend. 
you know. I'm gonna come over and help your nan with her cable. I think I do read as being a very like non-threatening, I'd like to believe I'm not threatening, I'm <laughs> sounding like I'm gonna confess that I'm not, but yeah, I ended up being the face of the show, which was really exciting. But the actual show itself, yeah, you just, it's like stripping in Vegas as part of the Thunder from Down Under, who these Thunder from Down Under, they are hunker spunks. Like they are some very handsome men. And I do not fit uh, what Thunder from Down Under usually brings to the table. I'll say that much. So performing is part of that. And then having that, knowing that every aunt and uncle I have, every family member, every friend is gonna see me stripped down to a G-banger on TV, just wild. And the whole time I'm watching the series, I'm just, dreading like will they show that time that Nicole and I fought will they show that time that this happened like how am I going to be represented on this show did you ask for anything to be taken out there wasn't really an opportunity we finished filming and they flew us all I don't even think we had like a post-production like cool here's your things it was just like filming stopped cool pack up your stuff what's yours put in a suitcase what isn't yours put over here we're flying you home tomorrow morning see you later thanks so much Ciao. Like, okay. And then you're home. That's it. Like, there's no, there wasn't any real opportunity to, like, speak to a producer. So it's just like, yeah, cool, see ya, have a good life. So was there any aftercare at all? No, I never really got any calls or emails or anything from them. There was, uh, there was one time where we all went to the Melbourne Cup and we went to, like, the Etihad Marquee, which was just this totally weird thing. I don't think Beauty and the Geek was or is as popular in, like, Melbourne as it is in Perth or Queensland. So I think the geeks and beauties who came from there were doing a lot more like publicity things and going to shopping centres and stuff. Whereas the Melbourne geeks and beauties, I'm just trying to, oh, I can't remember if there are any Melbourne beauties. I just remember Tate and I in Melbourne. Yeah, going to the Etihad Marquee and like, oh, there's Matt Preston. There's all these TV personalities and they have no idea who we are nor do they want to know who we are. Like, we're the, we're like, not even flavour of the month. We're just these guys that have somehow got this weird invite. No, like, filming happened there. There was no reason for us to be there, but we were, for some reason, surrounded by all these Australian TV personalities. Like, oh, okay, cool. Did you find that there was any backlash? You know, did you find that people were recognising you for the right or wrong reasons publicly? I was definitely not recognised as much as some of the other geeks were. I can't speak for the beauties just because there wasn't any real interaction after the show. But for me, it was more I'd be at work and someone would stare me down. And when I'd go to look after them, they'd be like, have I worked with you? Like, where, how do I know you? There was a lot of like confused, who are you? Like, no one was ever really excited to see me. <laughs> like, no one ever pulled me aside. I was like, oh, wow, it's you. Like, let's take a photo. It was a lot of just confused, like... Who are you? <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, and just as soon as I explained them being like, oh, okay, weird. Go back to your life, person. Like, we're done here. Were there any, like, long-lasting effects on you socially or, you know, how you perceived yourself? The big thing for me was during the course of the show, I think I did a lot of growing up in a very short space of time. So like I was saying earlier about choosing my battles, like I took a lot of that into my life going forward. And I, and I like to believe I tried to just take the positive things away from it. So about those interpersonal skills and about that, yeah, about how to interact with people, how not to interact with people. I don't think I necessarily had any hang-ups but I definitely, after the show, I didn't feel like going back to uni because I was, I just had just such a hard time and I needed more time to process. And so for me, it was more a thing of like, oh, shivers, I'm 19. What am I going to do with my life? 
like, I just don't know what to do with myself. Am I defined by this show? I was so young. I definitely didn't have any of the media savvy or know-how to be like, oh, okay, well, let's try and build an online following and maybe I can, you know, do this. Like, I just had no idea of what pathways this opened up. It just felt like it closed a bunch of pathways to me. But then, you know, thankfully, as time tends to do, it goes on. And I found things that interested me and excited me and I found ways to define myself. And now I'm happy. No, oh, pretty, yeah. yeah, I'm happy. I'm going to own it. You know what? I'm happy. Because you moved forward to performing. Do you think that the show, did that influence your decision to go back into performing? Yeah. The thing I took from the show is I never want to be treated like this again. Like, I know all the warning signs for a show on how not to be treated now. Like, I am aware of the tricks that can be used against me. Like, I've seen how James Tobin's being treated as the host. That's how I want to be treated on set. The one positive was like, wow, this is a big set. Like, this is a great experience to have being able to switch off that part of your brain that goes, look at the camera, look at that camera, look at that camera, and just being able to do what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, But I I think I found my way back to performing more because I I didn't know what to do with myself. And then I did this short sort of theatre course physical theatre, back to like clowning and mask work and just being a goofball. And I was like, this is great. I love this. This is so much fun. I can be an absolute dorkulous and live my best life. And so then I ended up being like, okay, is this something I can pursue? Maybe I could do this. And then, yeah, here we are. Would you do it again? Would you do reality television again? I would not. And I would advise anyone that's thinking of doing it to seriously reconsider just because it is this total pressure cooker. And for some people, that's probably great. Really, you know, for those people that have a strong sense of self and a strong willpower, it's probably fine. But if you don't, or if you're only, if you're working on it rather than have it at your disposal, it can break you. You sound very well put together though now. So did you feel that you broke when you first kind of came out or actually while you were still doing the show? I think there was a moment, there were a few moments during the show where I just had this real sense of like helplessness, like I can't leave. I just want to leave. I just want to go home, but I can't. And then when the show finished, it was this mix of relief and dread, like relief that it was over, but dread for what would happen because of it, like what was going to be shown on television. What did this mean for me? Yeah, I think the only times during the show was especially when Nicole and I were really fighting because that's the one person that you're supposed to be able to turn to as your partner. Like, everyone else theoretically has the ulterior motive that they're going to try and get you out of the show. So you can't be as close with them as you'd like. So in, in theory, it's just your partner and you against everyone else. And when you don't have that, it is really hard. Did you see a psychologist? You sound so, you know, put together. And, and I'm aware that this wasn't actually that long ago for you. It was about six six years, you know. Did you see a professional to help you get to this place? I did not, no. I've toyed with the idea of going into therapy, but I did not at the time. And I think that just speaks wonders for the people I have in my life who were there to support me and you know my family and my friends who helped me through it and helped me figure it out and obviously for me I found performing and and part of that was also that was very therapeutic in it it gave me a strong sense of self and tools to deal with what I needed to deal with and also aging like I think there's just so many things that I was very lucky that I did have the strong support base that could help me through. I I did an interview the other day, actually, and it was about 
my reality television experience and I said a very similar thing but something that kind of stuck with me afterwards was but what if I didn't like what if I didn't have the parents that I have and and there was no help from that show afterwards which is just kind of terrifying do you think that you would have benefited from an aftercare system from the show yeah I think a separate third party it would have to be like a third party hired by the show to check on you it definitely couldn't be anything that's affiliated with the company because at least for me it bred a real deep distrust of everyone that I was working with because, you know, as we know from reality TV, like they're there to manipulate you. They're there to get the best, juiciest bits out of you. And so you would, at least for me, I would definitely distrust someone coming from there being like, hi, how are you going? I'm here to help, you know? But yeah, I do think having a neutral third party to check, to do some aftercare and to check in with the cast afterwards and even some of the crew, you know? would be beneficial but again that costs money and these shows are there to make money and so if they can cut some corners they absolutely will and that concludes my interview with alexander thomasich wasn't that a wild ride i really did not know what to expect going into that conversation and i was shocked thrilled and utterly delighted in equal measures coming out of it As I mentioned at the top of the episode, for those of you in Sydney, tickets to my show The Apologists are now on sale. The booking link is in the show notes. We are currently selling with social distancing measures in place, which means there are a limited number of seats available. So please get over and book your tickets now. Hey, we should do this again sometime. This podcast was produced by Hugo Chiarella for Unlikely Productions. The dulcet melody that you are listening to right now was crafted by Robert Tripolino. If you reckon this podcast is a bit of all right, please tell your mates, post about the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Come on, get a girl out there. You can also follow me at gjoska on Instagram. Yeah, I know, that's G-J-O-S-C-A. Not my best, not my worst. You could also follow me at ScorthorneGab on Twitter. It's my name, but backwards. Hey, we should do this again sometime.